On February 8, 1983, a plumber named Michael Katrin got what seemed to be a routine call from a local. The residents of 23 Cranley Gardens in North London had been complaining about block drains, so he made his way over to figure out what was the problem. He got to work on the drains, and upon opening the drain cover, was horrified by what he found. Underneath the grates, he found a flesh-like substance and multiple bones being eaten by rats. Shortly after, it was discovered that this had been the work of Dennis Nilsson, a serial killer who had been active for over five years of luring and murdering his victims. So how did Dennis Nilsson manage to murder all those people for such a long time without being discovered? Betches Media presents Not Another True Crime Podcast. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. <sighs> that intro, oh, even, it was hard to read. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's... My God. This is for all the people who are like, too many scams, too many... We want, we want some, like, heavy, gruesome, terrifying stuff. You're welcome. Here, yeah, here it is. is. Here it so is. So gross. It is so, so gross. Well, we're going to talk about it. And also, we watched the Netflix documentary. What's it called? Memories of a Murder, the Nilsson Tapes. There we go. Ma- there we go. Yeah, maybe it's, is it part of a series like the Ted Bundy one? I wonder oh. if that was, because it sounds like the title sounds the same. Because that's what it really sounds like making a murder, which is also on Netflix. Yeah. So it's very, yeah. yeah. I mean, in any case, I I did not. I the thing is, I watched the documentary, but like I didn't absorb any of it, to be honest. That's fair. It was a I feel I absorbed too much of it and have maybe nightmares. So even so <laughs> I definitely read a few in-depth articles and I was like, this is so gross. I don't want to watch anything about this. It's definitely one of those ones that lingers with you for a minute. Yes. So. All right. Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> So Dennis Nielsen, born November 23rd, 1945, which I'm like, is that Scorpio or is he one day after the Scorpio? Either way, he's crazy. (laughs) Either way, don't trust him. Yes. Born in Scotland. I don't even want to try to pronounce the town because I know you guys are going to come for me. It's spelled like Fraserburg, but I'm sure there's something weird going on. Something. Something dumb in the pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Dennis was the second eldest of three children, and his parents' marriage was not a good one. So Dennis, his mom, and his siblings ended up living with his mom's dad, his maternal grandfather. And Dennis actually really loved his grandfather, who was a fisher, and um, apparently took Dennis with him, like, basically everywhere. But unfortunately, the grandfather died when Dennis was six, and Dennis cites that He saw his grandfather's body at the funeral, and apparently this is his most vivid childhood recollection, which, yikes. Mm -hmm. And he says that this memory is what kind of ignited the future reign of terror he would later cause. Okay. I don't know. I'm like, Catholics have been going to like open casket weeks. And not all of them are serial killers. Do you know what I mean? They they drink as much as everyone else in Scotland, but they're not murdering people (laughs) yeah and in high school he was kind of a withdrawn kid he also at this time realized that he was gay but he felt confused and ashamed so he didn't tell anyone and he didn't act on his sexuality or try to explore it 
Then in 1961, he enlisted in the army, training as a cook and a butcher. Too, I mean, too foreshadowing. I was going to say, we call that foreshadowing in the biz. (laughs) In the biz. He was in the military for 11 years and then moved to London in 1972 and became, drumroll please, a police officer. Oh, (laughs) Dennis was apparently fascinated with morgue visits and autopsied bodies. Cool. That's a weird thing to be like, oh, I'm super. I mean, I guess it's the one job where you can say you're interested in it. But then at the same time, don't tell too many people that you're interested. You know what I mean? You can be fascinated, but come on. I know. He's like, oh, did you get a a call to the morgue? Oh, yeah, I could take that. They're like, no, it's fine. And he's like, no, 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 no. And it's not that call. Yeah. And it's not even because like on most crime shows, the morticians are usually the funnest people. He liked to look at the bodies. Yeah. Yikes. Um, he was only a cop briefly, though. He didn't really seem like a good fit. Um, and then he kind of just got odd jobs. Like at one point he was a recruitment interviewer, which like imagine interviewing with a serial killer. Even worse. Imagine getting rejected from a job by a serial killer. Seriously. They're just like, you don't seem like a good fit. You're not what we're looking for. Why? Because I don't murder people. (laughs) It would hit hard. So kind of, I mean, I feel like... From his upbringing to what he, his life, you can kind of see the bits and pieces that could lead him to getting away with committing a lot of crime, committing a lot of murders. And here is the making of the murderer that he is. His first brush with police came in 1973 when a coworker, David Painter, accused him of photographing him while he was sleeping. Creepy. Which is pretty creepy. Uh, Painter confronted Nilsson and it got so intense that Painter apparently needed to be hospitalized. Nilsson was brought in for questioning, but released without charge. And then after that, uh, two years later in 1975, Nilsson was living with a man named David Galachan in a garden apartment in North London. Galachan claims that they never had a relationship, but kind of a running thing, especially when this comes out, a lot of people weren't coming out or admitting to being gay with uh, police and everything like that, just because the state of the world then. Uh, so he says they never had a relationship. TBD. Uh, they would also deny that if the guy turned out to be a serial okay. killer. That's some truth. Like, no, we never hooked up. Because now you don't get interviewed on Dateline if you dated a serial killer <laughs> like it is now. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so when he left his apartment two years later, Galchan, Nelson spiraled into alcoholism. Uh, Nelson spiraled into alcoholism and 18 months later committed his first murder. Oh boy. <sighs> now on to the murders. Trigger warning. This is all very graphic. Very so graphic. honestly, this episode isn't for you. If you don't like graphic, not like, but if you can't handle like graphic descriptions of murder. And yes. honestly, if you can believe it, I feel like we've toned these down. We have toned these down a lot. And we've for we're not calling out the victims individually, anything like that. But a recommendation, go back and listen to our Lula Row episode because Lula Rich is really picking up wildfire. So yes. scroll on that. It's a lot. It's a little uh, more easier on the summit. Yes, definitely. For the rest of you sickos who are here. <laughs> so. Despite the police first arresting Dennis on suspicion of murder for one or two murders, it was soon revealed that his count was actually closer to 15. 
So they occurred between 1978 and 1983 in London, and he almost exclusively targeted young men and boys. Um, saying almost exclusively just because not all of the bodies of his victims have been found, but that was mainly who he targeted. And even worse, I feel like he Mm -hmm. mainly went after people experiencing homelessness and gay men. So vulnerable people, um, he would find his victims at bars or on transit and would typically strike up a conversation with them and then offer them a place to stay and a drink at his place. Which and is just so ins- like truly getting people who are like just to kind of giving them the promise of like a safe place to like sleep and spend the night. You know what I mean? It's just so. Ugh. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the- these people were kind of vulnerable and not necessarily able to be very choosy. Yeah. Because a lot of them were either kicked out of their house or f- like fleed from their house because of just like how they were being treated then or just kind of wanted to get out to a place where they could be themselves type of thing. And that's why a lot of the people in the documentary, the victims or survivors went to London just because it was like a city where people just, they felt a little more accepted. Yeah, definitely. And also a lot of his victims were sex workers who would engage in gay sex, although not all of them were gay. But again, like you're just talking about vulnerable people who don't have like the resources and support who might be forced to accept unsafe situations because they don't have another option. And then also on top of it too, because I feel like this happens with even nowadays when people target sex workers, if it's people that, or people that aren't living with their family or have a support system that will find out if they've been missing for two days or that's true, can be like, oh, I don't know where this person is or I I need to call this person because this is happening to me. It's people that are kind of nearing a dead end looking for a place to safely turn and they turn to unfortunately him. That's true. And also as we kind of talked with the long Island serial Mm -hmm. killer, um, even if they are found a lot of times, the police don't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and especially if you're talking about like gay men and gay uh, men who are sex workers, it's like, uh, yeah, it's I, of- I can see why he got away with this for so long. Also, he the, I, I learned about this guy through one of my trivia questions, actually, because he was called the kindly killer because mm-hmm. he was able to. He just acted like so nice and normal that he was able to convince police for a while that he like had nothing to do with these murders. Well, because that's the thing. A, he was a cop for a short time, so he knew the answers that would be able to benefit him more type of situation in terms like that. I remember one of the officers saying, and B too, all the journalists of the time too, and everybody looking at him, you would not, I mean, he like had the glasses of a serial killer, you know what I mean? But you would never think that he would be able to do things so heinous because the, they typically thought that it was going to be this like very large, strong guy doing all these things. I know. I'm kind of wondering with that. It's like, oh, Ted Bundy didn't look like a serial killer in quotes. Yeah. Air quotes I'm doing that you guys can't see. And it's like, well, then who does, you know, Mm -hmm. like there are people out there who think Richard Ramirez is like attractive. So I'm just kind of like, that's true. Not that not that he is a poster boy for a serial killer, but he just he had very scary teeth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, he did before they got fixed in prison. So I'm like, (laughs) you know what? Like the idea that you have to look like the monster under the bed to be a serial killer is just so bogus that I honestly feel like at this point, it's not even worth bringing up. Yeah, that is very true. Cause it just kind of also in a way, Heinz on like stereotyping of like 
masculinity and attract, you know what I mean? It just is like a yeah. wormhole of nothing. A wormhole of nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I agree with you there. Boom. So, I mean, whatever. At the very least, I suppose he didn't seem to act like a serial killer because he was, he seemed pretty nice and even keeled. But, you know, that eventually he kind of seemed to give up without that much of a fight once he knew that he was caught. Mm-hmm. Okay, trigger warning again. If you manage to stay on board, this is your cue. Jump out now. I seriously don't blame you at all. Um, this is how he typically killed people. And I read this like very in-depth but article on like biography.com that seriously went into like the methodology of each killing. And I really wish I could bleach my brain. Mm-hmm. But this is like the general process. Um, so he would lure his victims to his home. Uh, He would strangle them until they were either dead or unconscious. Then he would bathe and dress. He would bathe them and then dress the body in like a sort of ritual. I also read that the the reason that he killed his first victim and the real the reason he kept killing was because he would like have sex with his victims. Then he would like get afraid that they would leave. So Mm. he killed them and he would strangle them. Um, He would then keep the body for weeks to months (sighs) He would put it in powder Ugh. in some. In- he would also like have sex with the bodies mm-hmm. occasionally or like use them for his pleasure in other ways. And then he would dispose of them in a bonfire, which apparently like didn't raise any of the neighbor's suspicions, which um, is so weird. I'm like a man's having random fucking bonfires and just no one's batting an eye by no, himself. Was- yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I actually read that. So the first few victims, he like buried the bodies. He was living in like a garden apartment. So he just buried the bodies. And then he wanted to kind of like cure himself of this urge. So he moved to like a top floor where he couldn't do that mm. without arousing suspicion. And that's when he started trying to like flush, like he would dismember the people and then like flush the body parts down the drain or like he would put them in the walls. Yeah. But then people started like complaining of the smell. So I think that was the point at which he started burning. Yeah. Burning and then also boiling. the Yeah. Bodies. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So. It's that, like, so disgusting. much. And also then so that was his entire methodology and everything like that. And he was getting away with it for a while. Which is crazy because it's like, I don't know. He he also like in his apartment, he started like literally just running out of room. Like his first apartment, he had kind of loose floorboards. He was like putting people under the floorboards, which is like big Edgar Allan Poe energy. Uh-huh. And so then when he moved to that upper apartment, he couldn't do that either. So he was like, I don't know, really just running out of room and like places to dispose of these people that he killed. Well, it's also that's I think it's the thing, too. It's like he wasn't it wasn't like an organization type thing. It was very messy with his madness and stuff like that. And I think that's why the only reason he was able to get away with this for so long is because there were people who were being looked for, but kind of had no clue where anybody could have possibly gone. So if you're wondering. True. I Yeah. I also feel like at this time, if you're like. A gay man in London, you might not be telling everybody about your whereabouts all the time. Exactly. And I mean, that's why a lot of, uh, and we'll get like a lot of people even trying to put it away, we're kind of like, I'm not going to fucking talk about any of this. Like, this is my other side, you know what I mean? Where people would just kind of go to these 
street poles or that that's what they called where the rent boys would stay and kind of just like linger there type of thing. It was a whole different world. Uh, so if you're wondering how the fuck did he even get caught, he low key kind of caught himself potentially what we're talking about. So a letter was written to his landlord from some of his neighbors. Some reports say that he also co-signed and literally signed this letter in February, 1983, complaining that the drains in the apartment were blocked and not running well. Okay. How did you think this was going to go? What did you, this is not, this, 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 we're not, this is not because someone flushed, you know, too much hair down the drain or anything like that. Because remember what Sarah mentioned about what he started doing with the bodies once he didn't want to burn them anymore in a bonfire. Yeah. So, I'm just, yeah, like, how did you think this was going to go when you signed this letter? What did you think would happen? That's what I want to know. It's, it, it, did he think he was so dark? Like, it, I don't know if that was the narcissism where it's like, I won't get caught even if this letter happens or if he thought maybe he's just, it, landlords sometimes take a while to answer. I don't know if he thought he had time, That's true. time to do. Or he thought it would look too suspicious if he didn't sign the letter. Get, yeah. <laughs> or then also, because he, he really tried to help himself out with this a little bit. So a plumber came and discovered that no duh, a lot of flesh-like substances and bones were in the drain and not surprisingly, the plumber's like, I have never seen this before. I have to call my supervisor. <laughs> so immediately told the supervisor. Yeah, I would hope not. Yeah. Like, you know. And cut to Dennis then himself with the neighbors complaining about all this. But what he kept on telling people was like, kind of looks like someone flushed down chicken. Kind of looks like, it was like, <laughs> no, sir. I like this is you planting sure, the seed buddy. trying to help yourself. I feel like that was a little, I'm just like, no. That's funny. That is not. Doesn't it look like chicken guys? Definitely not human flesh. No, definitely not at all. Yeah. I know. I Not that I know what that looks like. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I don't, I, I, oh, I heard a chicken. I mean, you know, right? <laughs> just kind of talking himself in motherfucking circles. Uh, next morning, he, the next morning, the drain looked very clean. He tried to very hard to clean this drain, but the truth is in the pipes because you can't clean. I don't care how fucking long your arm is. You can't clean the pipes that are in the ground or like in deep into everyone's apartment and stuff like that. And that is where human remains were found. So they were. Yeah. I think he also tried to go and clean out the pipes like the night before he knew they were coming back, but a neighbor saw him. <laughs> so, the, you know, like the jig was kind of up and he basically admitted to a work colleague. He told them, if I'm not in tomorrow, I'll either be ill, dead or in jail. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I, how I end every Friday. If I'm not in on Monday, Truly. I'm either ill, <laughs> dead, or in jail. Truly. Uh, and, but then when they were able to extract multi- more pieces from the pipes, one of the pieces discovered was found, they were able to process, it was from a neck, and that the part of the neck they found, it looked like it was strangled. Oy. So the police, and also as immediately, because first it was just the plumber and everybody kind of around, but then when the police... Uh, went into Nelson's apartment, they immediately, from the smell that they smelled, they've smelled that before. They knew bodies were in there. So they asked Nelson where the bodies could be found. He directed them to a wardrobe where two plastic bags were found. God. In the bags, there were two dissected torsos and a shopping bag of internal organs. Ew. A skull with no flesh and an arm with hands missing. Ew. So this is when, because then the police were kind of like, okay, is this a murder of one or two bodies? What's happening? He was like probably closer to 60. So after that is when he told police that there were more remains in his, the flat that they're in, but that the rest were at his old place buried. 
because he since we, like we said he moved uh he also apparently once the police were asking him like what was your motive for this he was quoted saying i'm hoping you tell me that oh the case also immediately got a ton of news coverage because it's insane a eh? and mainly at the time there was a lot of protests about gay rights how the police treated uh gay people and everything like that so some of the things there was the one of the names that they were going with on the rags was the gay murderer and that kind of like picked up speed and kind of made people give more eyeballs to it Ooh, get some imagination I know, right like oh you know you gotta get a little something give a little flair to it yeah uh not like the geez. bikini murderers that bikini killer that we might cover down the line oh my god yes uh so Dennis was brought to trial in October 1983. He was charged with six counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. I think just because, again, they couldn't find the rest of the victims or they couldn't identify them. Um, so while the defense was putting into question Nielsen's state of mind, um, I feel like he was kind of trying to claim like incompetence. And they were like, no, dude. Yeah, that's I mean, the go to I was like, oh, I didn't know what I did. It's like you were doing this for three years. I th- we think you right. Were. You were like methodically dismembering people yeah. like. <laughs> All right. Um, You had a whole system anyway, whatever. So but while the defense was trying to do that, survivors from Nielsen's attacks came up, came to trial to testify. And initially, kind of like we said, it was hard to get testimony from any survivors at first because people didn't want to out themselves. Um, And also the way that the media and the public were treating trial victims back then was not very like encouraging because they would just kind of be like it's what's the classic where it's like the even when victims come out now they're like oh well what like the you ask you know what i mean ask like putting the victims on trial for something that they were a victim to yeah yeah right and the first testimony was from douglas stewart who said that in november 1980 he fell asleep at nilson's and woke up with his ankles bound to a chair and dennis strangling him with a tie And he was able to overpower him and at first thought that Dennis was just trying to get money from him. Now, here we go. This guy reported it to the cops. The first person. Yeah, Yeah, literally the first person. And even they even brought Nelson in for questioning. But the cops just called it a lover's quarrel. Great work, guys. You know, those quarrels where you try to strangle someone with a tie and then someone runs out saying, here's money. Um, it reminds me of Jeffrey Dahmer because one of his victims escaped, but he was able to convince police that they were just lovers having a quarrel. But Jeffrey Dahmer's victims were all underage. Yeah. God, that Fucked. really. So then this victim was basically questioned like, oh, maybe you were just were you too drunk to remember what really happened, which is like. Honestly, excellent. Good job, UK. Um, I'm glad to see that across all genders, people on trial treat victims this terribly. Exactly. You know, it's it's the Rachel Plot and fight song. And then so the next testimony came from Paul Nobbs, who woke up after going back to Nelson's place after they met up. And he woke up with a terrible headache and then noticed his eyes were bloodshot and his face was completely red. He went to see a doctor, but he didn't report the attack because, again, he didn't want to have to out himself. So then the third victim that they were able to have come to stand was Carl Stodder, who took the stand and told the court that in May of 1982, Nilsson tried to strangle and drown him before bringing him back to life. Jeez. Oh, God. So 
this was definitely, I mean, all of them were very emotional moments, but his testimony definitely, he had the most emotional, like, recounting it. He lost his composure, which is totally, to be fair, said he kept that, uh, he kept coming back to the tub. Uh, Nelson kept on going there to just drown him and uh, bring him back up. And at one point, Nelson's dog even woke him up while he was still in the tub. Uh, the cop, DCI Peter J, then said that he was shocked by all this uh, for a criminal being accused of a crime to be so forthcoming because kind of with all these testimonies, Nelson was not really, before he was on trial, he was very owning all this stuff, kind of saying like, oh yeah, I did this, kind of like being cocky with it. And Nelson was even quoted saying, I have no tears for my victims. I have no tears for myself, nor those uh, bereaved by my actions. Jesus, what a monster. <sighs> Fucking monster. Yeah, so after all of this, on November 3rd, 1983, the jury, uh, not surprisingly, came back and found him guilty of six counts of murder and one of the attempted murder. So that was the murder of, uh, the attempted murder of Nobbs, the second guy who woke up with the headache and everything like that. He went on to receive life imprisonment with a recommendation that he serves a minimum of 25 years, did not fight the appeal, uh, said he, and then also he did not fight, fight the appeal and said he recounted the days of the murder gladly, getting a thrill of the social seduction. And he said the two of the murders didn't work out just because he got too drunk. So, Ew. Oh, God. What an absolute piece of shit. Piece of garbage. My God. Well, so he died in prison Woo! in 2018. <laughs> uh, what's that TikTok sound? Oh, she passed away. Oh, <laughs> mm. Mm. okay. And then it's like, and then the <laughs> other one in lighter news: Bruce Springsteen's daughter is going to the Olympics. <laughs> oh, Wendy Williams. <laughs> well, Dennis, Dennis, he did not have a smooth time in prison, and nobody feels bad. No. December 1983, he was cut on the face and chest with a razor blade by an inmate and had to be transferred to a vulnerable prisoner unit. And also while in prison, he composed an unpublished book that was 400 pages, and it was called The History of the Drowning Boy. In the book, he said he went between real life and fantasy life. It makes no sense. And also, I know that the when this book was he was writing it a lot of the, that's when a lot of the journals were able to get more information from him because they were like, Oh, well, I'll publish your book. Tell us more stuff. You, you know what I mean? Kind of like, yeah, getting more of I, the think, story. I thought the documentary was like voiceovers from this book. A lot of it was for whatever he voiced. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm like, that's he voiced his own book. Like you guys let him do that. Oh, that's I don't, fucked. I don't know if he was the voice in it. Okay. I hope not. I don't think so. Cause I know I, he, I truly hope not. <laughs> he was dead before it came out. Okay. So never mind. Probably not. Um, so at least four victims who were killed between 1980 and 1981 at Melrose Avenue remained unidentified. And Dennis died in May 2018. No, no family members went to the mourning moments. Um, only the only people who like visited or went to the funeral or memorial or whatever it was um, were two people that he corresponded with in prison. And honestly, guys, you need to stop doing that. Come on, people just do hinge like what? <laughs> it's as scary as talking to a prisoner. So. Oh, my God. Seriously, you can find your own serial killer. Just kidding. But like, <laughs> stop trying to shoot your shot with imprisoned no, serial killers. That's when that's what we we have an ad for online therapy. Go to that. Do that. <laughs> Don't do this. No. Okay. 
<laughs> oh my god and just to add more to it it was he they did not hire him for it but he recorded these tapes on his own in prison so i mean there we are all right i mean <laughs> all that's to be said real trash pile of a person seriously the worst That's why I think we need the palate cleanser that we always yes. crave. A little, a little game. Oh, this case is a doozy. Gross. Wow. So gross. So gross. Well, hopefully this game will be a little bit of a pick-me-up. So today we will be paying tribute to the wonderful, wonderful country of Scotland that Ooh. does not deserve to have its name associated with a scumbag like Dennis Nielsen, God. with a game called It's Getting Scott in Here, <laughs> <laughs> which is a trivia game about Scotland and tons of fun facts about okay. this country. Have you guys Excellent. visited Scotland? No, no. But I'm a little Scottish, I think. So maybe that'll oh, really? really... Yeah, I think so. So you have a genetic advantage in this quiz. Is there any advantage to being Scott? We'll see. <laughs> My sunburn will help me. Okay. So these are some questions. There's no multiple choice. It's going to be open-ended. Some of them are gettable. Some of them might be a little harder. Okay. But you will each have a guess on what you think it is. Okay. Whoever has the most points will win. All right. Are we ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's start off with what is... The national animal I knew of Scotland. It. I knew it. I think it's a sheep. Oh, um, it's um, um, I want to say it's a terrier. Aw. You're both incorrect. No. The correct answer is a unicorn. What? Oh, <laughs> it's not even that. real. Oh, I, I knew that because it's so <laughs> annoying to me. <laughs> I hate that so much. <laughs> it's a unicorn. <laughs> what? I mean, yeah. I guess it would track that it would be, they would have a gay serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So apparently the unicorn was first introduced to the Royal Coat of Arms of Scotland around the mid-1500s. And according to visitscotland.com, um, apparently it represents the ideals that are the perfect fit to Scotland because like a proud beast, Scots would fight to remain unconquered. So, okay, I don't think that's how unicorns are unconquered. I think it's because they're not real, but sure. <laughs> I don't know why this is annoying me. Throughout the years, it was adapted to different coats of arms. And to this day, it remains on the coat of arms um, next to a lion, which represents England. So there's like a sign ah. of unity between the countries. Mm. I mean, now I can see why they didn't go with the sheep, but you know. I mean, I guess so, but a sheep tracks more for them. I right? really thought that something is a terrier. I don't know what. <laughs> All right. Just the dogs. Next. Oh, it's a Scottish terrier. I think. Yeah. Up. Oh. <laughs> Scottish terrier. I was right. like, why do I think of <laughs> All right. Next up. Which famous sport was invented in Scotland? Famous sport? Hmm. Oh, field hockey? I was going to say cricket. <laughs> I don't know if that's famous, though. I was like, what involves skirts, a.k.a. kilts? <laughs> oh, wait, that's smart. I'm going to give you both one extra guess. Oh, because okay. you're both wrong. Mm. And 
a clue is that this sport is played outside. Okay. Well, I both of ours were played. I was outside. not thinking of a single well, endorsement. Uh, oh, a soccer? No. Rugby? Fuck. You are both incorrect again. <laughs> the correct answer is golf. Huh. huh. Golf Don't think I would have ever thought of that. Although the no. Argyle. The Argyle. Damn. No, I'm like, okay. Yeah, it was first. Uh, you can trace this sport all the way back to 1552. Which what? is a long time ago. Hmm. People have been knocking a ball around for <laughs> almost 500 years. Wow. And calling it a sport. <laughs> <laughs> and calling it a sport. All right. You both have zero points so far. So uh, this okay. is playing about as great as I expected it to. <laughs> so next up, what are the colors on the Scottish flag? Yikes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, I thought this one, this one would be the one. I mean, in my head, I'm like green and red. That's where I'm at too. Like but Italy. that's Christmas oh. and Christmas. Um, um, I'm gonna do black, gold, and green. I know that's something. I think that's black, Germany. Gold, and green. Okay, I have no clue. I'm still gonna go with fuck, green, white, and red. You are uh, both incorrect. Uh, <laughs> Is it blue? It is white and blue, Danny. Oh, okay. White and blue. Really? Um, I almost was going to switch that, but I thought that was Greece. Well, I this just is don't a... associate them with the color blue. I really don't. Either. This is actually a pretty fun fact. So the countries that compose the United Kingdom, so England, the UK, Wales, if you basically mash all their flags together, you come up with the Union Jack. The, the flag oh, of the United Kingdom. That's cool. So the Scottish flag is the one that has like an X on it on white and blue. Mm. Oh. So you mash them all together and you get the United Kingdom flag. Wow. Oh. Another fun fact is that the Scottish flag, the blue of the flag was derived from a local plant called the woad, which is a flower also called the asp of Jerusalem. It's a mm. beautiful flower. How do I get over there? <laughs> Pangea! <laughs> <laughs> and you can make a blue dye from its leaves, and that's what they use to make the flag. Oh, cute. Well, Brexit's yeah. going to fuck all their plans up to make this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up. Oh, God. What famous annual festival Oish. takes place in August in Edinburgh? Oh, oh a music the, festival? The Edinburgh Fringe? That is correct, Danny. Fuck. Oh, Never mind. Well done. <laughs> it is only the largest theater festival in the world, Sarah. Oh, I was right, going to say Glastonbury. Where's that? Oh. Glastonbury. Uh, not Scotland. I think that's England. Damn it. I, I do think that's... Because uh, like Emily Golding and Florence Welch was there. Yep. It's in Pilton, Somerset, England. God damn it. Okay. Yeah. Close. <laughs> This is not my best work. <laughs> yeah. Back in my theater days, I actually performed in the Edinburgh Fringe Ooh. Festival 2016. Is and that on tape? <laughs> it was a show called The Diana Tapes, which was about Princess Diana, which is Ooh. pretty interesting. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. And it's it's a trip. It's so fun. It takes place over like t- almost a month of plays. There's plays going on at all times of the day. Like you could wake up at 10 a.m. and watch a play and watch another one at noon and watch another one at 1 p.m. You can just like 
just knock down plays all day, all oh, night. It's so it's fun. pretty, pretty fun. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I want to go. All right. Next up. Have you guys heard of Haggis? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What is Haggis? Um, why do I want to say No, it's, it's not tripe, which is sheep stomach, but that's the only thing I could think. Oh, I think it's... Was it like an intestine? I think it's cow intestine. Or no, sheep intestine. Intestines, I want to say. Well, I don't know. We can't both guess the same thing. Okay, I'll say cow intestines. <laughs> I'll go with sheep stomach, I guess. Sarah is the closest. So, Sarah, you get a point. Well done. All right. So, it is sheep's heart, liver, oh. and lungs oh. uh, cased in sheep's stomach. Which you did okay, say, so Sarah. Right. You were half okay. right, correct. And they also put in onions, oatmeal, suet, which is fat and spices. Oh. And it I'm sounds good. like something out of Dennis Nielsen's uh, <laughs> <laughs> crime spree. But it is actually delicious. It's um, so, so tasty. Have you had it? Yeah, I had it. I had it many oh, times. Oh wow! When I, was there. I mean, yeah, I feel like if if the cell, it, it's such a hard cell that it has to be good. Like it can't be gross and sound gross. Yeah. Well, it's also a thing you can't think about it when you eat it because that's just the, yes. that's just the like mantra for dog. most food. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this might be a, a hot- weird way to describe it, but it actually has a very nutty flavor. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. It's 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 very like earthy and delicious. It's great. Huh. Yeah. All right, we have the last question. We've arrived, and we have a tie game at one point each. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Which of William Shakespeare's plays is known as the Scottish play? Oh, Macbeth. Well. (laughs) I don't know if I I said that so fast, but I don't know if that's right or not. Known as the Scottish play. But why? I mean... I don't know. Like, sure. <laughs> Should I go with that? I mean, or We're do you both have right or wrong? You don't have a tiebreaker. On your, on your... I don't know. I'll go with like King Richard the Third. That Just is incorrect. One. The correct answer is Macbeth, Danny. Damn you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. It is called the Scottish play because it takes place in, as you guessed it, uh, Scotland. Damn, I read that one too. (laughs) I really don't talk about Scotland a lot. I I feel like the setting didn't come up. It was like the blood on the hands and the washing the hands and the murder, you know, like. But like Macduff and Macbeth and Mm -hmm. McDonald, they're they're all Scottish names. Scottish families. Um. It, there's also a, a fun fact about this place that you there's this superstition in theater that you're not supposed to say the name of this play or any line from the play in a theater because you will bring ruin upon yourself and those around you. Hmm. So that's mainly hmm. why people call it the Scottish play, because if you're in a theater and you're not like rehearsing or, or performing this play, you have to call it the Scottish play or else everything will go wrong. Cool. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, was that what the play the play where everything goes wrong is about? Or no? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. That's actually about my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's why we never say my favorite murder before recording podcasts. <laughs> You're not allowed to. No one knows that. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, Daddy, you are yeah. the winner of it's getting Scott in here. 
Maybe you know what? My five percent Scottish is really that really came through for me. <laughs> it paid off. It paid there off. There we go. Well, thank you, Jorge, for that game that made me feel really dumb. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, Sarah. It's good for the uh, self-esteem, uh, you oh. know, like, got to keep it in check. You gotta, so yeah, you got to be humble. We're, we're sitting down and staying humble. <laughs> staying humble. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really have a segue. Still still reeling from that. <laughs> I think the only segue boss. is that, I mean, we don't really talk about Scotland there that much, but we could. If you want to talk about it and bring it up and not another true crime group where you can join just Very the simple true. questions. And then as always, follow us on Instagram, not another true crime where we get so many of the urgent update case ideas from too. So that really helps us out when you guys DM us those because there's some, y'all are on the know. <laughs> they know more than we do. Seriously. Best. And thank you guys for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Lameem. And you can follow me at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere with a K. And other than that, we'll be back next week to talk about a very timely case that everybody's messaging us about. So rest assured, we are keeping tabs. We're on it. On it. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to natc at betches.com. Betches.